You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL Supercoach All-Stars podcast. This is Barnsley back again for another pre-season episode in the All-Stars pre-season series. This is an exciting week because we've got yet another guest that hasn't appeared yet on the pre-season podcast, but has appeared the last couple of pre-seasons, and that is Andrew Scanlon, also known as Cowboy. Andrew, how are you going, mate? You geared up for the season, all ready to rock? Yeah, I will get up. Yep, um, ready to rock. Not quite. No, I've, I've thrown a team together, a very brief one. Um, it looks okay. Um, some solid choices. But yeah, I'm really excited for this season to start. Um, and mate, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. No, no problem at all. For those that don't know, uh, Cowboy ran the Points Per Minute podcast, which is a really popular podcast that stopped a couple of seasons ago. But I'm sure some of the fans are hoping that it will make a comeback sometime in the future when real life doesn't get in the way as much. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm thinking a couple of weeks prior to the season starting this year, I'll, I'll make a decision. Um, it's looking looking good, mate. Um, I'm hoping to get back into it this season. Um, I'm pumped. I've kind of had a couple of years break, which is kind of what I needed for work purposes and that. So um, yeah, fingers crossed I can, I can get that together again this season. Good stuff. Well, look, Cowboys podcast, the Points Per Minute podcast, if it does come up this season, give it a listen because it's a nice different one, very um, quick and succinct and to the point, good roundups. I always enjoyed it. Um, And speaking of that, enjoying it, you will tonight because we have the Cowboys, which is your team, mate. So we get to talk all about them in part one of the podcast. And then part two, we get to talk about your neighbour down south a little bit in the Gold Coast Titans. So a bit of an exciting one for you. You get to keep it a North Queensland podcast, which probably works well for you. <laughs> yeah, not too bad, mate. Yeah, I do like talking about the Cowboys, um, despite their lack of form in, in recent times. And, and, of course, Titans are a very exciting team to follow as well, aren't they? They're um, a young team and um, they're on, on the up. So, yeah, it should be a good chat, mate. Well, let's get straight into it and start with the Cowboys. Uh, I'm just going to say outright that this podcast probably won't be as long as some of the other ones because, you know, all, all due respect to the Cowboys in particular, but also a little bit to the Titans, that this isn't as many super coach relevant players for these two teams. But there is some certainly a few interesting ones that are definitely going to be worth considering and talking about quite a bit. So maybe not as many options as some of the other teams, but definitely options that you need to look at for the super coach season. Cowboys, first of all, looking at the guns, there wasn't a huge amount of guns last year. I think that you probably agree. Uh, it was not the best season for the North Queensland Cowboys. Um, coming into, you know, I, I really thought coming into last year, I wasn't sure what to make of them. I didn't think they'd be great, but I thought that the first half of the season they had a really good draw, Andrew, and then they kind of went downhill very, very quickly. I really became someone who was very, uh, I'm trying to think about the nicest way to put it. I wasn't a fan of Todd Payton at all. I didn't know what he was doing a lot of the time. I hated how he used Lolo. Um, the the Tom Lolo logic always baffles me of, you know, keep him fresh because he's on a long-term deal and stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Awesome. So in eight years time, you'll be playing, you know, 5% better because he's had a bit of extra rest and you'll be long fired as a coach by then. So what's the point? And you've just put yourself through seasons where you might've missed the finals and in just at least the top eight because you're not playing your best player the most minutes, which seems like the most basic rule of thumb for coaching. And then there was all these decisions like, let's throw Granville at, at fullback and 
uh, guys all over the place. Some of the signings were, were head scratches as well. As far as last season, before we look ahead to 2022, how did you feel about it as a fan? Uh, very disappointed last season. Um, look, I wasn't expecting too much from them. I was probably expecting a little bit more than than what they gave. Um, I totally agree with what you said there too, mate. And there's no there's no point being nice about it, really. Like, we're both realists and, you know, can say it how it is. But, um, you know, their, their signings, their positional switches, what they did with Lolo, um, even what they did with players like... Um, Cohen Hess, for example, like, you know, that guy played three different positions last year and um, none of it really made sense to me. Um, And look, as a whole, the Cowboys, they're a team that can't really seem to control the number of errors in their game. Um, I just remember watching the opening rounds of last season thinking, oh gosh, here we go again. Like they, they managed to scrape a couple of solid games, I guess, through the midsection of the season. But as a whole, it was it was pretty woeful, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And I mean, look, they finished second last. The Bulldogs were the only ones below them. And the Broncos and the Cowboys basically had pretty identical numbers when you look at it. They both had their seven wins for the season and the Broncos had a minus 249 for and against, whereas the Cows had a minus 288. And the minus 288 was the second worst in the competition as well. Uh, and it was hard to tell what was worse for them. But, you know, their attack could actually score mm-hmm. some some points at times. So, I mean, their attack was better than the Broncos, even though the Broncos were above above them, so, certainly significantly better, 33% better than the Bulldogs who were below them. But they were actually better than, like, the Warriors' attack. They scored more points than the Warriors last season. Um, they were very similar in points to the Dragons, who were, you know, 11th. When you look at what they gave up, though, <laughs> 748 points they gave up in the 2021 season, and that was dead last in the league. So certainly defensively it was pretty bad. And you have to think sometimes, you know, like when you're making some weird weird decisions around your roster and stuff, that can certainly affect the defensive capability as well. So the attack looked a little bit better than what their position on the ladder was, whereas, you know, the defence really let them down. But, I mean, being honest, neither was good. Um, when we're looking at 2022... Having a look at the actual roster and what we could expect changes, their gains aren't really anything to write home about, which is why I'd be a little bit worried. So Brendan Elliott's come across just recently and, you know, I don't think that he's going to be in the starting um, 17 come round one. Peter Hiku's come across, which is a solid, you know, value pick to come into the roster. Jermaine Tanel Brown's probably the most exciting guy uh, along with... Maybe Chad Townsend, depending on who you talk to. But I mean, you know, <laughs> Danell Brown, I, I actually think he's good because he's a young, he's a young front rower that has a fair bit of his, he has a big career ahead of him, I think, as far as being at least a long-term NRL player. Chad Townsend is getting older and I've always been, um, I live in the Shire, as a lot of people know. So I bump into some of Chad's family from time to time. I have to be careful because I don't realise it's <laughs> his uncle that I'm having a beer with at my table, which has happened before. And, um, you know, it's... Chad's a really nice guy and he always has been. And he's, you know, well loved in the Shire and everything and around these parts. And it's kudos to him for playing in the NRL as long as he what he has. But he hasn't been playing great footy. And I think that he kind of got away with it at the Sharks because he was a local. He's not going to get away with it at the Cowboys. You know, they're going to really give it to him and if he doesn't perform. And I just don't think that he can at the moment. So that's a it's an interesting one that you're bringing on board there. And I think that you paid way too much money for him as well up in North Queensland, way too much. But then the losses, you know, you've lost... I guess some, you know, decent bench forwards in Holler and Jensen, uh, a definite starter in Josh Maguire. Um, Michael Morgan, Morgan retired, but, I mean, he wasn't playing last year anyway. And Masters went halfway through the year at the Gold Coast. So 
it's, a, it's not like you've lost heaps, but I think you've probably lost at least as much as what you've gotten, if not more. Yeah, and the losses are more significant than the gains, that's for sure. I totally agree, mate. And um, look, Chad Townsend, um, look, you know, being a key signing, and, and I only say key signing because he's part of the spine, it's, I, can't, I can't really see him bringing too much to the team, to be honest. I mean, the Cowboys, um, since Durson left, has always, that they've had a, a woeful kicking game, haven't they? And, and that's, I don't think that's really going to improve this season. Um, to Noah Brown, yeah, I think he's probably the best signing. Um, for this year, um, which is a bit of a disappointment because he's probably going to be playing from the bench. Um, so <clears throat> having a having a bench forward being your best signing for the year is a, a very big concern. Um, I think the Cowboys are also, um, they're not really adapting to the, the increased speed of the game as well. And, um, you know, there's, there's not really too many positives to say about it because, as you said, the defense is woeful. It, it really is one of the worst in the comp. Um, but then when you look at their offense, um, you know, you've got their kicking game, which, which they're struggling with. Uh, they're um, struggling to adapt to the speed of the game and everything. There's not really too many positives to take out of it um, and, and their signings as well. I think they'll be battling with the, the Dragons and the Knights for the wooden spoon this season too. Um, I can't really see them being any higher than 14th on the table. Yeah, I've got them penciled in as pretty strong favourites for the wooden spoon, to be honest. I think yep. the, the Dragons and the Cowboys are my clear bottom two and the Tigers are in the mix here, depending on what happens with that club. Uh, those those were my bottom three. I can see it. Yeah, that's I can fair. see a Knights capitulation as well. So don't, don't get me wrong. I I think they've got a much higher ceiling than those other teams. So to finish a bit higher, so uh, definitely yep. cows are near the bottom for me, um, which isn't good. But I think it's having a look at their predicted lineup. You know, oh, if there is some positive take up uh, out for this season that's coming up, I do think that their spine has potential to be better than others. You know, guys like Robson and the hammer at number one, if he's starting at fullback, which he should be, they've, they're young enough where they've got a bit of potential to improve again. They certainly showed flashes. Uh, so that's good. I think Scott Drinkwater was pretty solid, at least in attack last year. And, you know, he probably offered the most as far as playmaking goes and what you had to offer to sort of score some points. Um, and Chad Townsend, Look, maybe he has a bit of a resurgence. He plays a bit better than he has the last couple of years. You know, so look, there's worse spines. I think that there is worse spines potentially in the game. So that's probably the best positive that I could probably throw out there. You, you're looking like you're going to start some young back rowers as well, potentially. So maybe they'll be able to bring something to the table. But let's start to talk about the super coach stuff. Before we do, one of the things that I find very relevant is the draw and certainly the first two months of the draw. So... When we're having a look at the Cowboys draw, it is actually quite good. And this is something that's been coming for a couple of years for the Cowboys. They tend to have a pretty good starting draw. And I don't know whether they're paying someone at the NRL or something, but it's happened again. (laughs) Um, They kick off with the Bulldogs, hit the Raiders, and then the Broncos. And then week four is the first time they hit a top eight team from last year, and that's the Roosters. That's going to be a tough one. Uh, Then they go on for the second month of the season to hit the Warriors, the Raiders again, the Titans, and then the Eels. So, I mean, arguably in that first eight weeks, you you may only have two teams in the top eight out of those eight games. Now, if you go a bit further, they are going to play the round 13 bye, which is handy. Nine and 10, they actually hit the, the Knights and the Tigers. So that's a pretty good double. Then they hit the Storm and Panthers, which is an absolute killer, but then they play the round 13 bye. So the first 10 weeks of the season, potentially they're only playing, you know, two top eight teams. Um, that's 
that's about as good a start as as anyone's got, I reckon. The only probably bottom team that's going to leak points is, is maybe going to be the Dragons, who they don't play. Uh, but everybody else, they kind of hit in that 10 weeks that you'd want them to. And it's, it's probably one of the better draws that they could have hoped for. Um, but I guess it's one of those things, Andrew, where do you think that they can take advantage of it? Because everyone, even the bottom teams, I guess, have a bit of enthusiasm at the start and don't have injuries and are fresh and maybe there's some changes that Todd Payton's going to make and there's certainly a couple of recruits that are going to be starting that might add some spark. So possibly the draw is going to help them at the start. Yeah, possibly. I mean, look, the only thing I can think of is um, that, you know, they will gain some confidence if they can get a few wins under their belt with that draw. That I mean, that draw is amazing. It's, it's clearly like one of the better ones in the comp. Um you know, as far as the the season as a whole goes, um, you know, I suppose fans might get a little bit of false hope. Uh, the ones that don't actually follow the draw closely, um, they might be a, a little bit further up the ladder than they should be. But um, look, as far as the spine goes and that draw, like I'm actually very excited with the Hammer having a, a full pre uh, preseason at fullback, um, and then coming into um, to experience this favourable draw. Um, I know we're going to be speaking about him shortly, but look. It may be a confidence builder at best, but as soon as that uh, middle section of the the season comes in where the the harder draw um, appears, then they may struggle. The back end of the season as well, mate, like they've they've actually got a a fairly good run home as well. There's a couple of difficult games in there scattered throughout, but yeah, that definitely that first and third third of the season for the Cowboys, it's looking looking quite good, isn't it? Yeah, I like it. Um, I wish that there was a few more super coach options, really, because they do play that first buy. So if you've got a team that's going to be hitting a good early draw and then has the first buy, it's pretty handy. Um, but unfortunately for them, there just probably isn't that many guys with massive ceilings. So I don't know how, how advantageous that early draw is going to be for super coach. Well, maybe look at their guns. I mean, the first gun that we're going to talk about is Valentine Holmes. And he's really interesting because he he's looking like he's going to play centre this year. And that's a position that we don't really have any numbers for him. Uh, last year, he averaged 64 points a game. I really liked him last year. He sort of let me down, uh, but it wasn't really... I'm not even going to blame Holmes because, I mean, he did some big scores. He had 138-point score in around 11, and he backed that up the next week with a 100-point score. So he got up to 680,000, and he started at 509. So you would have made pretty good cash out of him, and he didn't play that first buy. So... It actually would it actually worked out quite well. In the back half of the season, he both got hurt, also lost the fullback jumper, and also lost the goal kicking. So, you know, the goal kicking was a big thing for him. Playing fullback was a big thing for him, and he's lost both of those to now going to play centre, which we don't really have any data on. On as far as watching goes, you know, he played centre at State of Origin. I've it's a side which didn't defend well, like we said, Andrew, but he's also a guy that I don't think will excel defensively at least at the start playing center so it's an interesting move because I think that he's attacks better as a fullback and defensively he's worse if you put him at center so I don't really know how it makes Valentine Holmes a better asset for the team other than just letting the hammer take the number one jersey which I guess is the reason why they've done it but when you have a look at his numbers you know 64 points was solid especially when you consider he had an interrupted season, played different positions, had goal kicking for some and not other parts of it. Uh, it's his second best season, 2018, he had his 67. Yeah, it's it's all looks solid, but he's obviously playing centre and he's going to be well over 500k to get into your centre wing. So 
normally, you know, if he was a fullback and goal kicking, I'd be on him again for this year and think, you know, especially with that draw, that's the guy that can take advantage of it. But with the change of position, possibly no goal kicking as well, it's it's probably a bridge too far to look at him for round one. Yeah, exactly. And the reason we can ignore Holmes for our Supercoach sides straight off the bat is because we have a player that's earned his price tag from playing at fullback and now he's playing in the less glamorous position, I guess, at centre, um, assuming, of course, that's where he lines up. Yeah, as you said, we don't really have a big sample to use when looking at his stats at centre, but um, those couple of games where he did at the Cowboys certainly don't justify a 560k price tag. Um, I believe we can also ignore him if he's named on the wing even um, due to the more superior options on offer in the fullback and centre wing positions anyway. Um, honestly, mate, I don't really have that much more to say about Holmes. Like when it comes to choosing your starting side, 560K is massive overs for a centre or wing that plays for a weak attacking side in the Cowboys. Um, you just can't justify paying that amount of money when you're basing your decision off, I guess, hoping that he'll produce attacking stats due to the favourable draw. Um, so, yeah, simply I'm drawing a dirty big red line through Holmes. Um, he's not even in the picture at the start of the 2022 season. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that it's it's hard to because one of the best things that I liked about him as well is that because he, he had his hands on the ball, he was like a main playmaker for that Cowboys side. Mm. He was getting like a, a try assist, live assist every game. Like that, he was a staple in your attack and he's not going to get that at centre. I really don't like that for your attack because I really, you know, the hammer's exciting when he's running the ball, but Holmes is really good at throwing some cutouts and he got a lot better the last few years in his passing game, which he never originally had at the start of his career. So you're really going to miss that. Do you think that there's a realm of possibility that he reclaims the one jersey at some point this year? Uh, I'm going to say no. I think Tabuai Fado is just going to um, excel at fullback. And I think once um, Peyton actually sees that, he's just not going to want to put Holmes back there. Um, I mean, that positional swap with Holmes and, and the Hammer definitely benefited the Hammer. I mean, mm. that Holmes in centre, it just doesn't make sense to me at all. So, um, yeah, I can't, I can't see a situation where Holmes will end up with a one jersey. Yeah, I think probably the only thing that might happen is he could end up getting shifted to the wing, and I could see that probably happening. Well, yeah, Talagi and, and Holmes may swap, so um, at best. So, yeah, that's probably... I think that's better too. I, I think Talagi's a better centre than a winger. Yeah, and, so do I. And the opposite for, for Holmes. Let's just say with Holmes, we both agree that he's not an option for round one, but we're talking classic here. What I will say to give some positive spin for the Cowboys... Holmes, I don't think he's going to be drafted very highly at all in drafts. And he is someone who can still score pretty well. You know, I don't expect that he's going to score sub 50 or something like that. And I think that you're going to get him reasonably late in drafts and he could take over goal kicking at some point. If Hammer's injured, he's going to be the first guy that gets shifted to fullback. They do have a good starting half of the draw, like we said. So for draft, I actually think that he's a good later round target if he's still around for his center wing to get near the end. Yeah, that's a fair call, mate. Look, you're talking to someone who hasn't even clicked the draft button once in starting <laughs> Supercoach. So, uh, look, I've, obviously I've heard a lot about it and um, the run home draw for the Cowboys isn't too bad either. And I mean, maybe a half decent option. I'm not sure. Yeah, he's definitely got a good run home as well. So, I mean, it, 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 Holmes' relevance might come into play down the track. Um, he's going to play Origin, so maybe for that run home. So let's move on to the next gun for the Cowboys. And realistically he's just about a fallen gun now which is really sad but that's Jason Tomalolo it's it's really upsetting to look at the fall from grace because even now people still talk about Tomalolo like he's a gun but he only scored 55 points a game in 2021 I guess it's one of those things when you're having a look at it where 
everyone, I think, had the same sort of feel, Andrew. Like, they all sort of thought, oh, yeah, he wasn't getting the minutes. And, like, he wasn't. He should have gotten more minutes. But the minutes discrepancy from, you know, 2019 to 2017 before it mm. was definitely there. You know, he's missing five minutes a game. But when you look at 2020, it's that's the big – it's it's either a real big worry or a real good bright spot for the future for him. Because in 2020, it was only a two-minute difference. He played 61 minutes a game in 2020 for a 72 average. He played 59 minutes a game in 2021 for a 55 average. So for that extra two minutes, he scored 17 more points the year prior to last. So it's a it's not a complete fallacy about his minutes, but it's a little bit because they kind of evened up to 2020 almost by the end of it. That's either going to be very concerning and one narrative will be, you know, Tom Lally's on his way down, you know, he's a year or so off turning 30, maybe he's burned <laughs> out already. The other narrative will be, well, maybe this is a really bad year where the Cowboys went really badly. I didn't think that Tom Malala was really that invested in the season either. I think that he had a couple of different injuries throughout the year as well where he missed time. He was carrying injuries throughout it too. I just think that he, he didn't love that year and he didn't have a good year. Maybe that means that he's going to be in for a bounce back. So there's two different narratives there, Andrew. Um, I'm really struggling to decide which side I'm on. But, <laughs> you know, when you look at the 2020, it, it's pretty hard because... 11 of his 16 games in 2020 was 70-plus, you know. And when you're looking at the uh, base, he was 12 points less in 21 as what he was in 2020. And he had two tries in, you know, 2020 and only one in 2021 and also less line breaks and less tackle breaks. So all of his attack was down. His base was down significantly by a dozen points, even though it was only two minutes difference in the averages. He was still playing middle for most of it. Mm. You know, it's it's really hard looking at it because it's like they're the same season pretty much, but the numbers just are so skewed. So obviously his price tag is going to be the big deal. At the moment, he is in my team because he's only 485000 and he is going to play that first buy, which I find really handy. So which narrative are you on as far as, you know, <laughs> is he on the downward spiral or is it actually an anomaly and we're going to see him step back up? Um, look, I'm going to sound positive here. Um, like, look realistically either makes sense to be honest i don't think he's on a downward spiral to be honest um i think this year will be a very um a good indication of where he's at um and with the positional change as well mate i think it's going to be very interesting like he's, he's expected to play a prop um this season well I, I believe that's that's how it's meant to pan out so yeah so i mean look at, at 485k you'd think tom malolo is a low risk option wouldn't you and although he played most of the 2021 season at lock um yeah we're not expecting him to do the same this season so um i guess he's still generally a, a one point per minute player averaging 55 to 60 minutes. So with that said, 485K is a pretty good price to pay for Tamalolo. Um, he's also in my team for, for the same reasons. Like he's, he's basically a low-risk option with round 13 availability. Of course, he's cheaper than he should be um, due to missing a handful of matches through the opening stages of last season. <clears throat> he threw on the number eight jersey just the one time where he scored uh, 58 from 59. 
we we don't really have much to go by in recent times outside of that lock position, but history tells us to expect 55 to 60 points per game from Tamalolo. And let's not forget that this guy is about 200k less than his 200, uh, 2021 starting price. So we can kind of look at Tamalolo in um, the same, we can't really look at Tamalolo, sorry, in the same light as we did at the start of last season. Yeah, I, I actually think he's, he's an okay option for this season. So um, surely low risk. Um, so yeah, he's, he should be a benefit to your side. Yeah, I do think he's pretty low risk. I mean, the only thing that's a little bit risky when you look at it is only only 33% of his games last year he hit 60-plus. It was a notoriously low-scoring year for him. Yeah, definitely. Um, whereas all the other seasons, you know, the, the, the two years before were 88 and 83% of the time he was hitting 60-plus. So it's really hard. The, the positional change is something that you mentioned, which I also wonder about as far as risk because, you know, I think people expected him to play more minutes this coming year, me included, before the prop talk came along because it was sort of like surely Peyton realises how stupid it is if he's not really, you know, I, if if I had a Ferrari and I had I had a lease on it for two years because that was my coaching contract, I would drive the shit out of it till the wheels fell off, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, it's it very good just, point, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if, and if it doesn't work, oh, well, you know, I, I tried and I still lost my job. Yeah, I, I would I would be expecting Peyton to give him extra minutes this year. The problem with that is now that he's been talked about as starting a prop, you don't get props that play 65 minutes a game. It, it just doesn't happen. Exactly right, yeah. So if he's only going to play prop, uh, he'll be lucky to hit the 59 minutes from 2021. So what does 55 minutes look like? I think that's the risk for him. But maybe, maybe, Andrew, the idea is someone like Cotter starts at 13, someone like Tom Malolo starts at prop. And then Cotter goes off at some point and Tom Lolo reverts back to lock. You know, do you think that might be the rotational idea? That's really interesting that you said that because I was thinking about that the other day and I thought that is certainly on the cards. And I really think Peyton has, like, he needs to figure out that what he's doing right now is the wrong thing with Tom Lolo. This is got to be a trial for Tamalolo the opening rounds of the season playing a prop um surely he'll play around with those um positions and obviously with Cotter number 13 and um and Granville on the bench I'm not sure what he can really do there because I mean obviously you've got quite a few second row forwards and prop forwards as well that he can play around with so I don't know. Look, it's it's Peyton. We don't really know what Peyton's thinking after the mess he created last season with Tamalolo and Hess. Look, I'm I'm just being hopeful to be honest. I'd like to see Tamalolo get more minutes, um, and purely for that narrative of of kind of hoping that he's not on a downward spiral, and just I want to see him get some of that fire back as well, mate. Yeah, I, I didn't like some of the body language I saw from him. And I didn't think that he was getting enough ball either and that might have contributed to it as well. You know, I, I really didn't think that the... Yeah. I think like a few years ago, you could see it was Tom Lolo's team and you saw that in, in some of his super coach stats too. Whereas watching the games and the eye tests, it, it looked like they weren't really recognising that. And certainly some of the new guys, you know, it, I mentioned like guys like Drinkwater and, and so forth that were playing in the spine, you know, they weren't really recognising him and giving him ball like they probably should have. Yeah, exactly. He, he seemed more like a contributor, didn't he? Not someone that's kind of owning mm. the team. So, and that's, that is really disappointing for your marquee player. I'm going to throw in a really big positive for Tom Malolo. Hmm. The new rule changes for Supercoach, you need to make sure that you're understanding them and you're taking advantage of them for round one. One of the things that I really do like about it is Tom Malolo is a secondary forward currently, and he is almost certainly round six, he'll get upgraded to 
dual second row forward, front row forward, because he'll be starting prop. So you could start with him in your second row, and certainly it's going to be handy leading up to that round 13 buy as well. You're going to be able to throw him in at prop. And if he just meets, if he's 2020 and 2021 numbers, you know, if you just meet somewhere in between of those, so 62, 63 points, I think it's pretty reasonable. Uh, at second row, that's decent. It's all right. But when you move that 62 to 63 points into your front row forward spot, that's actually even better because that's that points value is more in that position because we all know front row forward doesn't have that many great options. I think that's a really good plus with the new rule changes. And I think it is a, a tick for Tom Malolo as far as first buy can move into front row forward uh, and should hopefully have a bit of upside in the points for what you're purchasing them at. Yeah, and, and that's massive for Supercoach. And, and it's I'm actually really good you brought that up too because a lot of listeners I don't think would think along those um, along those lines for Supercoach with that new rule change. So definitely keep that in mind. Um, I mean, that, that front row forward um, area in Supercoach is quite dull, isn't it? So mm. um, moving him up, um, having him there for round 13, it's great. So again, another another positive with starting with Tamuello this year. Yeah, and look, I'm not going to blame anyone for jumping off because I do think there is a little bit of risk. Um, and certainly anything under Todd Payton is going to be risk. And he's in a side that doesn't really uh, inspire confidence. They could get flogged a few games even in the good draw. But Lolo hasn't been getting clutch attack stats anyway, so it's really not going to affect him that much. So I, exactly. I don't mind having him. I'm, he's in my side at the moment. I think I am going to keep him because I think that he does tick some good boxes. He's definitely an option, so you should consider him in draft. Really interested where he falls to because, I mean, you know, I think that I drafted him in round three last year, something like that. And he could drop to like round eight or something this year, which will be pretty good value, I reckon. But moving along, let's uh, have a look at uh, Big Balls Pod. And, you know, this is a guy that I actually like in real life, Andrew. Uh, and I wish that Jack Granville would retire, but he hasn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Young Robson. Uh, now, look. I think Robson had a pretty good year, to be honest. He's played pretty well for a couple of years. It's just been the minutes. You know, the last two years, he's gone 63 and 62 minutes for 54 and, and 56 points. Certainly not priced particularly cheaply because, cheaply because he is at that mid-50s price point. So maybe there's not a huge amount of upside, but we are going to have a bit of a look down his his games last year. So there was for Robson 12 out of his 24 games where he went 60-plus minutes, and he did that with a 62 average. He also had a reasonable amount of those games where he played 80 minutes and that was really handy. Uh, now, he's a guy that can also attack. He had his six tries for the year and that's kind of what you expect with with Robson. He does have some good clutch attack stats. His base was actually 42, which for a hooker might not sound that good, but when you consider his minutes were up and down, it's not too bad. And you can also consider the fact that's about five points higher than what Harry Grant's, you know, <laughs> Harry Grant's was as far as his raw base. So mm. not bad as far as what Robson can do, but he needs to be an 80-minute hooker, really. Um, what I would suggest is the, the hooking options are pretty tough, um, as we've spoken about. Grant out round one. Uh, Cook, is he going to bounce back? And then it's sort of open slather for the rest. Robson is an attacking hooker who does have an attacking draw. I'm not by any means saying that he's a big balls pod that people should, you know, be scrambling to put in. He's a big balls pod for a reason. It's going to be very, very potish to look at someone like him. And I, I wouldn't do it for round one. But during the season, you know, he could be a bit of an under the radar. I'm looking for Granville to get hurt. I'm looking for Granville to be left out of the 17 altogether. <laughs> and if Granville gets left out of the 17, 
which I would actually do as a coach. Andrew, I think that Robson could be in for a, a great run in that first half of the season because if I was coach, you know, I'd think I've got Cotter starting at 13 that I could throw at nine if I had got an injury to Robson. And if not, just, just ride Robson for 80 minutes. That would be my team. Mate, you, you've actually put forward a, a fairly good argument for Robson, haven't you? Uh, with or without the absence of Granville, but uh, <laughs> didn't mind that, actually. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I, I've got him down as a as basically a no-upside player, um, despite the the stats from last season. Like, like they were actually quite solid, especially for someone at his price tag, 475. Um, I, I guess for me, it's just a, a simple case of the the other better options in that position. Um, I love Cotter. Um choosing Carter into the into that position. Um, you got Randall, of course, and and even the McInneses and the Coruscants, and let's not forget Cook. Um, all much better options than Robson, in my opinion. Um, but look, if you take out those 80-minute games from last season, um, because, of course, he won't play 80 minutes unless um, Granville gets injured, um, and even then it's, you know, doubtful, um, he'll give you those 30-point games um, at times, even mm. And though his base has been quite solid. Um, and we simply can't afford to get that from a 475k player. Um, and he's just too expensive to leave, leave outside of your 17 when he's playing a, um, a, a strong opponent, not to mention being too inconsistent to be playing inside your 17. Yeah, it's uh, look, I'm, I am going to have a, a cheeky look during the season. Yeah, that's if, fair too. If yeah. there's 80 minutes on offer for him, and I think that there should be at some point. Um, if it hits that nice spot in the draw, uh, it could be a point where you are throwing a Randall over to a Robson leading into that buy, make some money out of it, and then and then get rid of him. I actually really like Robson for draft. I had him a lot last year, and I got him with, geez, I don't know, maybe my second last pick I picked up Robson, and I was ecstatic. You know? And <laughs> to get 54 points a game out of a guy with your second last pick in a draft is actually pretty good. And the first half of this season, he's a special to jag some attack and have a better average in the second half, I reckon. So I, I quite like him for draft if you're going to have a strategy of leaving your hooker until, you know, the late rounds, late, late rounds, you can get him pretty cheaply. But let's move on to someone a bit more exciting as a big boss pod, the Hammer. You mentioned that you, you think he's better at fullback. So do I. When we're having a look at the season, it, it's a little bit hard. So looking at the numbers for the Hammer, 48 a game. Pretty underwhelming. Did it in 69 minutes a game, though. But when you break it down, he obviously was playing center, wing, different side center, fullback. It was all mixed in, and he also only played 13 games. He had three different periods off uh, injured, which didn't help him either. And it looks like that year on year, he sort of got a little bit more comfortable being an NRL player, which I think is key for a young guy. Looking at the numbers a bit more, Andrew, we've got, you know, 22 and nine-minute games in his 13 games that he played, which helps with his pricing as well. Uh, 60 average at fullback in 2021, but it was only four games. That sounds pretty promising because you've got a guy that's at least 12 points unders, and if he improves and also has a good draw, then you know he's going to be unders maybe as much as 20 points potentially. But the issue I have, and it's hard because I like the excitement machines like the Hammer, is if you're ever looking 2020, as a fullback, he only averaged 40 points in seven games. Now, granted, he was a lot younger then, uh, maybe not as ready for first grade, but the the average isn't great for his fullback games when you actually pull it apart for the year before. So, I mean, when you're having a look at it from a super coach perspective, you know, you can grab him at centre wing, and as a fullback, that's great, and he's only 418,000. So he is a pod and a big balls pod that you could actually consider for round one, I think 
at that price point because there's a heap of those guys. At the moment, he's 6% owned. Heap of those guys in that price range of around 400K and you could hit on any of them. But certainly with Hammer's draw, maybe he goes ballistic to start the season. Does that 2020 average scare you? Or did you see promise in 2021 and you expect him to grow? Um, mate, yeah, look, the 2020 stats to me, um, like he, he wasn't as mature as, as he is now. Um, I, I, um, last year, as you said, like we don't really have a massive sample size. I, I do love the fact that he averaged 60 from his four games at fullback, but that also included a, a nine minute game at the back end of the season as well. So that average could have been beefed up a little bit as well. I'm not one to have Cowboys in my supercoach side usually, besides the Tamalolos, since the since Durson stopped playing. But I have him in my centre wing um, as a as a pod. Um, I'm not a biased person by any means, but I do love the fact that I've got an additional Cowboy in my team, um, so I can actually cheer for um, someone that's not the opponent when the Cowboys are playing. I reckon he's going to do great. To be honest, uh, at centre wing, the, that draw is going to be great. Um, he'll generate generate some coin. He'll give us some good scores. Look, obviously, he's only going to stay in people's teams if he's named out fullback, which which we reckon he will. Um, if he's picked at centre or wing, then he's obviously super coach irrelevant in my eyes. But at 418k with the, the small sample that we got from last year, if we, if we can kind of ignore those stats from two years ago due to immaturity and, and the fact that he's kind of, um, you know, developed within the Cowboys, um, look, I think he's a fantastic option. Um, certainly a great option if named at fullback. And I think he'll surprise some people with his output. Um, I'm really looking forward to watching him this season. Yeah, there's not many fullbacks this year that you can plug in your centre wing. Mm. So, and, that, and that's something that you always do want. I guess he's, he's like a ball playing is an issue. But as we've seen from other excitement machines, they can they can build on that. Um, obviously, Bowen is a Matty Bowen is an obvious example of someone who was that you know electric attacking player that got better and better at the ball playing as they matured. And he's a few years into first grade now, so maybe that's now. Uh, I like him as an option as well. I definitely think that you should consider him because again, that draw, you know, Bulldogs. Raiders, Broncos, the first three weeks as it is, that's a really nice start for him. And so, so that's definitely a consideration, I reckon. And one of the few considerations, I think, um, that's got really good upside in that Cowboys back line to score some big some big points. Little caveat, he's obviously not had a very good base before. You are potentially going to get some low scores. So you just hope that he'd be able to make the best out of that draw and be the Cowboys' top try scorer this year which actually might not be too bad a bet. Yeah, to, <laughs> considering to the other on. options, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, let's move on to, to Noel Brown. Um, and we're going to talk mids and cheapies, and we're going to start with Tanoel Brown now. So with the mids and cheapie stakes, I've seen a few teams that actually have Tanoel Brown as one of their mids. And part of that is because, you know, he's only 275000 as a front row forward. That's not too bad because I don't think that there's going to be too many options where you can get guys in cheap and you've got four spots for your front row forward. So I understand why people are doing it. He did have some good numbers. Like I actually like the look of him as well. He, he started a fair few of his games. You know, there was only five of his games out of his 15 that he didn't start last year. But his minutes were 35 for his 31 points. The year before, he actually did 39 minutes for 41 points. So... You would think maybe going across to a new team that really wanted him, that's definitely going to have him in the 17. He could certainly replicate that 39 points, that 39 minutes a game, and that brings him up 10 points on his average that he's priced at from 21. So that's one of those slow burn ones, mate, where you could earn 100K on him. Uh, maybe he's even earning money still for you to sneak him in as a buy. 
uh, as a buy player for round 13 and then sell him. But it is going to be a slow burn and he's not particularly cheap. So I'm not sure, you know, do you think that maybe there's a role where he's playing 45 minutes? You know, could he end up, you know, 12 to 15 points under price then? You know, where do you see his role in this Cowboys team and his points? Um, yeah, look, I guess a positive positive with Tanoa Brown is that he, he is usually a starting up. Um, either injury occurs or for whatever reason they decide to revert Tamalolo back to the number 13. He could be that guy that comes into the starting side, which is, which is massive. So you could have that scenario where he's, um, he's slowing. Um, he's sitting there on your bench um, just generating some coin. You've got him there ready for um, round 13 and happy days if, he's, if he does get moved to the starting size and plays extra minutes. And out of all those guys that are, are named on the bench, he's, I'd say that he would be the one that's more likely to be called up into the starting side if anything happens, whether it be injury or positional change among the starting side. Definitely not a bad option at all to start the season. I don't have him in my team, but that's not to say I think he's a bad option. Yeah, it's interesting because I initially looked at him and like at the start when it came out and glanced over him when I was building my first teams. And then I kind of looked at him a little bit more and sort of thought, yeah, well, you know, if, if Jake Granville is on the bench and, you know, maybe they're debuting one of their young kids like Nanai, uh, then you've got Cohen Hess. He, he's probably primed to get some decent minutes, but probably the, the thing that I really liked is that Jordan McLean's really on the outer. So I could see McLean just getting benched or even chopped altogether or even released early or something. Uh, and then if if that happens and he gets dropped, then Tanoa Brown could take that that starting job and get like forty five minutes a game, and that's all he really needs, and he's going to be pretty good value. Exactly right, yeah. And let's not forget the um, uncertainty with forward packs. So keep that in mind as well. So one of the other one of the other recruits for the Cowboys that comes into the mid range category is Peter Hiku. Now he comes in as a dual center wing fullback. It's three hundred sixty thousand. Uh, he's never been particularly relevant, but he's coming off a 41 average in 2021, which means he's kind of cheap. Um, he has been able to score pretty well in the past as well. So for someone like Hiku, when you're having a look at his scoring, he's going to come in and start at centre, which is good because he's been shafted to the wing a few times in the past too. And also to six last year, which didn't work that well. But when you're having a look, he only scored 41 in 2021. That's his lowest score when you're looking at the three years prior. You know, 2020 backwards, he averaged 56 points a game, 49 points a game, 45 points a game. Now, certainly Hiku isn't someone, Andrew, that's a fantastic buy, but at 360K, he is one of those mid-range options that you can look at, especially if we don't have any um, bottom dollar cheapies on offer for center wing for round one TLT. He's a guy whose base and base attack has always been pretty good. But last year, it was at least six or seven points down on that on that mark. So just if his base, base attack went back to where it needs to be, you're more than half a dozen of points better off. And really, I've said it so many times on these podcasts, you're looking for not just what someone's going to average for the season, you're compartmentalising the season into when you're going to own that player and what they're going to average then. I could see Hiku averaging 20% more the first 10 games than what he will, you know, the final 15 very, very easily. So that's what you want to own him for, right? Because he might have, um, you know, seven points upside as it is just on his price point. And then he might have an extra six or seven points just draw upside. And then all of a sudden you're 13, 14 points better off on your price point. So I think Hiku is someone that, that can score some tries as well for them. So it's an interesting one because 360K is a little bit more than what I would want to spend. If he was 300 sub 300, I'd like it a lot more. But you know, it's it's funny because he is one of those guys that no one might buy and probably no one will. He's in the mid-range category. And he could go on a run and make 100K in four or five weeks very, very easily and score some good points. 
Yeah, that's a fair point, isn't it? And um, look, I mean, look, he's not someone that I'm considering at all, um, especially like just being a centre for a weak attacking side in the in the Cowboys. Um, look, base stats, not too bad at all. Uh, 360K is a very awkward price point, isn't it? Um, and when you consider the, the other options that we've got, considering there are quite a few cheapies that we can think about, and I think they will be named Teamless Tuesday, I can't see um, Hiku being a popular choice. He may be one like to throw in the wait and see basket. Um, I totally agree with you though. Like he is someone that you can actually um, monitor. He he does have the capability to, to score quite well, um, and we could always see how the Cowboys perform at the start of the season. But I think someone would have to have pretty big balls to to throw Hickey in their team with, with any sort of confidence. Yeah, it's definitely not going to be a confidence one. Um, there's pr- there's probably going to be better options. I think I'm, I'm going to be saying this with a lot of Cowboys. That it's probably better for draft late round. You'll probably get Hickey in the very last round, and with the draw targeting center wings that have good draws at the end of your draft to start with. That's that's not a bad option for a strategy. Probably something that I'll look at with Hiku as well. Before we move on to the other great cheapies and mid-size options for the Cowboys, I do need to mention the fantastic partner of the All-Stars podcast in Top Sport. Top Sport are a 100% Australian-owned bookmaker. They often have best odds in market. They are fully Australian-based as well. Whether you're into NRL betting, which have got great futures markets up there at the moment for, or you like your other sports as well, Super Bowl's coming up in a couple of weeks, great time to get onto the NFL or the NBA that's going at the moment, or even if you love racing, just jump on Top Sport and have a look. Obviously, gamble responsibly if you are going to, but if you're interested in doing it, go to www.topsport.com.au and make sure you use the All-Stars promo code. That is SC All-Stars, all one word. They'll see it, they'll know you're a listener, and they'll take great care of you. So jump on Top Sport. Fantastic sponsor of the All-Stars podcast and one of Australia's best bookies to jump on. Now let's move on to the Cowboys options with a couple of other mid-sized guys that you might want to consider. Uh, look, there's a couple of young guys on the mid cheapies list and you don't have any bottom dollar cheapies, but you know, mids wise, we've got Lukey and Cotter and it's interesting because both those guys are now penciled to start uh, with Lukey looking at an edge Jersey and with Cotter looking at 13 Jersey with Lolo moving to prop. Lukey, I really like the look of. So when you're having a look at him, you know, he's someone who came in and I just like the look of him. He looks like a good footballer. He looks like someone who's going to be, He's got good size. He's kind of tall and rangy. He's got the three games that he did manage to start in the 12 jersey towards the back end of the year because obviously they had plans for him. So only an average of 40 a game last year, but only 38 minutes a game. Now, if he's starting on an edge, you'd expect that to go up quite a bit, and that's where we're talking pretty good value. And when you're having a look at his price point, you're going to get him at the paltry price of 350000 So... His sample size is obviously small, Andrew, with only three games starting, but he still averaged 50, uh, and that was with a base around 40, which for an edge back row isn't bad. And even if he doesn't play his 80 minutes, he's still going to get some reasonable cash baking that he's going to get. And he's also a guy who is an edge back row that we saw, I think, just some potential to get some attack. And with that draw, maybe on the edges, if they use him, he could really blossom. So I like him as a player. And I think that there were signs there that he could be value at 350K. And we are going to have to choose some of those guys in our forward pack to kind of make money off and have a bit of a bet on as a mid-ranger that's going to pay off. So I think worst case scenario with him, like you can, I'd be surprised if he couldn't pencil in a 48 to 50 average if he's starting on that edge. And if you can pencil that in, you know, just on his PPM, he's probably going to get 
close to 10 points a game better. And you're at least going to get a guy that's reasonably playable against good matchups and, and potentially going to make you 100K plus uh, around six, seven, depending on if you get some tries. Yeah, exactly right. I think he's going to be great value this season. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously his sample size isn't that great, but he's certainly a player that um, that I have in my team uh, at the moment. I mean, 350K for a, a starting second row forward. Um, I mean, going by his small sample size, he's definitely got that output in him as well. Um, so obviously around 13 number. Um, if we like look at the rotation um, and what could happen, I guess, keep in mind, we have Cohen Hess and possibly uh, Jeremiah Nani on the bench. Um, but you'd think Lukey would play at least 55 to 60 minutes per game this season. So he's certainly a, um, a one to consider for the, the starting se- start of the season. Um, I honestly... Like, I'm pretty confident that he will be playing um, 55 to 60 minutes on that edge. Um, trial matches, I guess, are, are not really a good indication of, of the um, rotation. Um, but again, he's a low-risk option as well. Um, decent price tag. And, um, yeah, I, I think people should consider him for their, their starting sides. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's even bigger potential with him as well. You know, like, I don't think that he will get 80 minutes off the bat. But as an edge back row forward, if you manage to get 80 minutes off the bat, you know, that's a huge upside. Like we're talking about it being a decent purchase if he's sort of getting 55 minutes. But if he manages to get 80, he's going to be, he'll be close to a must have. So he's one of those guys that if you don't put in for round one, you're really going to need to monitor because if his minutes are right up there and he's starting to hit some attack and he's matured because he is one of those young guys that's going to get better year on year then you need to be looking at making a trade for him uh, in the early rounds, I reckon, to get him in because he's he's a guy that's going to play round 13. And I really like his potential in real life being super coach. Just the eye test for me, I, I really quite like Lukey from the limited games that I've seen from him. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, look, he, he needs to be on your watch list if you, you don't choose him for your starting team. Simple as that. Um, he's, he's the kind of player that you don't want to miss out on and you certainly don't want to um, pick him up for basically a price tag of um, that's comparison to his output as well. 350k is going to be a great price to pick him up for. Yeah, and I mean, then we've also got Ruben Cotter, who's going to end up as a starting 13 at the moment. And he's, I think that his value is that he's a dual hooker, secondary forward. So you can run him as your second hooker for 380,000. And certainly, I think before Randall became prominent for, for Newcastle with Braley going down, it was going to be much more of an option to look at that. I think now that Randall's there, it's a bit harder to justify spending throwing 80K on, on Ruben Cotter. But I also like him a lot less than Lukey because he's kind of already gotten a lot of opportunity. So last year, he scored 48 points a game already, and he did that off 45 minutes a game. In the last two years, he's played 45 and 50 minutes a game. So he's already kind of been getting those minutes. So I'm not sure if he's starting at 13 how much upside there is. Because if you have a look at last season, he started at 13 three times and each of them, he went 54 minutes, 27 minutes, but he got hurt. And then he played 39 minutes when he didn't get hurt. And, you know, 49 points and 46 points for the two games that he didn't get hurt in isn't phenomenal. And I'm kind of wondering whether that's sort of the role that he's in, you know, and it's certainly if Tom is shifting back to lock and that's how they're going to play it. It probably will be. So maybe his 45 minutes is actually pretty close to where he's priced at. Maybe he's 50 minutes and maybe it's an extra five points, but that's not really worthwhile in grabbing him. He's, he's a base stack guy, 48 pace last year, raw base, and he doesn't have a lot else. So in a way that's reliable and he does have a good work rate, but I've seen sort of two camps for him. So I'm really interested in your view, Andrew, being a Cowboys fan. You know, I've seen people really on Cotter 
and it's funny because I haven't seen anyone really mentioning Lukey much at all, and I like him a lot more. But the guys that are really pro Cotter just sort of think because he's starting at 13, that's an automatic, you know, he's going to score 60, 60 a game and get 60 minutes and on all this sort of stuff. Whereas you know, a few other people, and I'm in this camp, sort of look at it and go, he's kind of had the opportunity. He's already priced at a 48. He was already playing 45, 50 minutes the last two years. Maybe he's not really going to be much more than what we've already seen. Yeah, and that's a fair call too. Um, look, I do like Lukey much more than Cotter, um, although I do actually really like Cotter as well. Um, I do have Cotter in my team as well. I know four Cowboys in my team for a, a super coach season. It's just unheard <laughs> of. Um, but, um, yeah, look, it's it's kind of strange too. Like, I think people are choosing Cotter as more of a safety pick. Um, you, you kind of know what you're getting from Cotter in saying that there's not really much more of an upside to that. Um, you've got someone who will give you that he, he might might fluctuate a little bit if he gets some attacking stats in his game um you do have the uncertainty of the positional change with tamalolo at lock uh, sorry at uh, prop um so there is some uncertainty uncertainty there even though he should be considered as a safety option again a number um round 13 option um look yeah i don't know would you call potter more of a boring pick, I suppose. Like, not really much else to get out of him apart from safety. Um, maybe, but like, he's an okay option at hooker uh, in the hooker position, even in the second row position as well. It doesn't really matter. He will get that um, points per minute. Um, just don't expect too much else from him, I guess. Yeah, and like, I'm not someone who likes using the word trap, and I'm not going to say he's a trap, but he get he's getting towards trappish for me almost. You know, I can I can see I can see it being a bit trappish, um, and I, it's. It, he, he's worth considering, um, but if he comes out and gets his 50 minutes a game and scores the same, that's not going to surprise me at all. And you're going to be a bit disappointed with that. I'm just, I'm a little shocked at the amount of um, enthusiasm some people have had for him um, in the preseason, especially when no one's named Lukey as, as someone to, to watch. So, I mean, Lukey's got the upside for the attack and they've got a good draw. At least he's got that. Cotter doesn't get attack. He's he's just a base stack guy. So you don't really have any upside either. And he's already priced a lot more. So just benchmarking the two of them. Like I really like Lukey a hell of a lot more than what I like Cotter. Yeah, that's totally fair. Look, I'm totally guilty of talking Cotter up. I'm a bit of a fan <laughs> of his. Um, look, I, I do like Lukey more than Cotter. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I will encourage people to um, choose Cotter for their starting side. Um but, you know, that's just to eliminate some form of risk. It is a boring pick, I guess, and you do have arguably um, better people to choose in the hooker position. But, um, look, you know, there's definitely worse choices out there than Cotter for your hooker. Yep, yep. And, look, I, I'm not going to be right on all my preseason picks. Certainly I could be wrong on Cotter and, and he could go gangbusters and you can get him in later. That is the Cowboys done and dusted. So we've finished part one of this episode. Part two of the podcast episode will be out shortly in the next 24, 48 hours. And you can jump on there and hear me and Andrew discuss the Gold Coast Titans prospects for 2022 and all the Supercoach options. So certainly download the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter as well. That's NRL underscore SC underscore all stars jump on top sport as well if you want to have a punt do it responsibly but make sure you use the promo code sc all stars to make sure they take good care of you as one of our listeners thanks for listening everyone we'll catch you on part two of the episode to discuss the gold coast titans shortly hey now you're an all-star get your game on go play hey now you're a rock star get the show on